Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives. I'm Kieran Bradley. So we've had the cocaine bear and now we have the cocaine boat. On Tuesday, over 2.2 tonnes of cocaine was seized in a joint operation between the Army Ranger Wing, the Irish Navy, the Garda National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau and Revenue. In a dramatic operation, they halted the MV Matthew vessel off the Cork coast in what is a major blow to organised crime. To give us an insight into a stunning 24 hours in Irish policing, I'm joined by the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror's crime and defence editor, Michael O'Toole. Michael, how are you doing? Naggard. But yeah, glad uh, to be at the centre of this journalistically. It's it's one of those, I was talking to somebody about this the other yesterday actually, is going, we're in the middle of it. And I go, lads, this is the day of days. This is why you, you stand outside pissy places for 10 hours when you're bored because you ha- you'll know you have days like this and it was coming thick and fast and it was fantastic. A D-Day beach landing of sorts anyway. Which is yeah, well, from the comfort of my car and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, basically. So... Let's pull back a little bit. First of all, you might just bring us up to date with with what we know as of now. Okay, so it's it's twenty five past four on Wednesday. We know the three men are still in custody. There were about, I think there were about twenty five people on the 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 MV Matthew, as you say, which was detained by the Army Range Wing. Now they haven't been arrested, but they have been detained. They're under the guard of the guards. Now they can be arrested. So uh, Assistant Commissioner Justin Kelly, who is the head of uh, organised crime within the guards dealing with anti-drug legislation. So he basically this operation was his baby and he was one of three people who gave a joint press conference today. Remember, this was the joint task force, as you said. So there was him, there was a fellow called uh, Harahill, Jerry Harahill from Revenue and Commander Tony Garrity from the Defence Forces, specifically the Naval Service. So he was basically, Commissioner Kelly basically said that there may be more arrests, that this is a live investigation. Now, what I'm taking from that is if they get evidence or they believe that any of the 20-odd people who were detained on the ship were part of this, then they're in trouble. But we know that the captain has been was arrested. Now, really incidentally, and I think massively coincidentally, there was an alert on Monday night, even though this was at the centre of a massive intelligence operation, which we know started on Friday. He became ill, and he had to be airlifted off. So there was a sort of pretense that the, the Coast Guard went and airlifted him, and the result, oh yeah, we're saving this fellow's life. Little know, I'm sure the pilots didn't know, but the people on the boat didn't know that there was a massive army and air, air corps and navy and guard operation just over the horizon coming for them. So I just thought that was, it's just one of those coincidental things. He became ill, I think he fell and had to get hospital treatment. So he was actually arrested in the hospital after the drugs were seized yesterday when he'd been off the boat for 12 hours or whatever. It's funny because when I was looking at the footage earlier, it's so, and you know, excuse the, the, the kind of terminology, it's so kind of un-Irish looking. It looks very sort of like, you know, FBI kind of seizures or South American uh, forces seizures. Do we have much of a sense, and I, I presume the, you know, the forces are going to be reasonably tight-lipped about intelligence and so forth, but how this came about, how they've been tracking it and that kind of thing? Well, so it, uh, there were a couple of, as I said, I was at that press conference this, this morning, there were a couple of interesting points so Commissioner Kelly, who, as I said, was the lead investigator, the lead man, he said that this investigation was initiated on the 22nd of September. I think that's last Friday. So that shows you how long this had been in the planning before it was executed. Now, if it's initiated on the 22nd of, of September, that's the, the guards decided, right, this is on. But obviously they had information and intelligence before that. So principally, they said they were dealing with the National Crime Agency in America, in England, the French authorities. The DEA, the Drugs Enforcement Administration in America, 
but also a thing called Mark, and we've spoken about this. It's the EU's anti-drug smuggling agency. It's based in Lisbon. Ireland has Gardaí and Revenue, I think Aircore, people down at that. So it's all the EU countries all coming together and sharing intelligence. An Irish man called Michael O'Sullivan, who has been on our pod, was previously the head of Mark. It was a very big organisation. So look, this is all about two things, human intelligence and signal intelligence. So somewhere along the line, law enforcement agencies, somewhere in that axis from South America over to Ireland and Europe, got a sniff of this. That may have been through an informant. It may have been through, you know, in intercepted messages or phone calls or whatever. Either And it's a very, very active intelligence route there because they know it's such a busy area that Malk and the DEA, they're all there trying to intercept things. So somewhere along the lines, there was international intelligence that these drugs were coming our way. So the guards were notified and this big operation kicked in. And just just on that point, because when there's kind of transnational crime and transnational cooperation, particularly when it's overseas, literally coming through the seas, I suppose jurisdictions come into play. Now, is that something that's decided, you know, say, for example, it's the Irish Defence Force that are going to take the lead on this because the destination is Ireland? Or is it like a, when is the best to sort of intercept this vehicle? No, they very much decide when it's best to intercept it. So, like, say, for example, Mark, one of the, there, there are several routes from South America to Europe. This way, southwest, west coast of Ireland, all around there, England. With that, all that has diminished with Brexit, interestingly. They try and stay away from England because of more security checks and more paperwork and it's harder to get through. So, but then another area is West Africa. So Guinea and all around there. So you have the Portuguese Navy, the Irish Navy, the, the Irish Naval Service, the French Navy, all around there. So they would go out and patrol and it's basically, Mark will coordinate and they will decide where is the best place to strike. Uh, so that's basically how it works. It's not just, you know, it's Ireland's turn. It's, it's their intelligence aspects, evidential aspects, r- security risk aspects. And it's when is the optimum moment to seize this? And it's usually on this side of the Atlantic. Well, fair play for finding the one benefit to Brexit there, by the way. <laughs> Let's get going. Well, um, no, but actually, just- actually, no, this, I, I, I was speaking to senior source a few months ago about this and they did say that, you know, there are more seizures that I think we spoke about this, that Ireland is, is now seen as a conduit for drugs to England and also to Western Europe. And one reason was you know, there are more checks from Brexit. If you're going from France, I'd say Le Havre to Dover or whatever, Calais to Dover, there's more chance of you being stopped because there's more chance of checks. We've got the common travel area between Ireland and Britain. So they come in here up through Ireland over to Liverpool or Stranraer in Scotland and then into Britain. So it is Ireland is a route for smuggling into Britain now. It's very interesting. Just in terms of the significance of this, I, I was saying to you just off air, I think with the numbers, so obviously the numbers that were put forward in terms of the uh, presumably uncut cocaine was around 157 million euros worth. Can you give us a sense of how big uh, a blow this is to the gangs that are involved or the individuals involved in this? Uh, and, and, and sorry to tack on a, a question, but it's all kind of, uh, intertwined. Do we have a sense of who is involved here as well? Yeah, so a couple of interesting aspects. We we asked uh, Commissioner Kelly about this. It was the, I asked the last question about you know how big a hit is this, and he said it's a major hit. And he said the the the, the cartel. So you have to separate it to the sort of the givers and the receivers, shall we say? So the cartels in America, he called them a murderous cartel in South America, which was very interesting. It will have set up. He said they will have had to buy the ship. They'll have had to 
bribe officials in various countries. They'll have had to have, you know, even sourced the cocaine, all that sort of stuff. So it will have cost them millions. Now, they will have made more than millions on on their, you know, returning this, but it will have been a serious hit to them. But also, so that's a, a, a very damaging for them. The gangs in Europe, because I think it was a pan-European load, so it wasn't just Ireland, it would have been Britain, it would have been France or whatever. They will have suffered really, really badly because they would have had to pay for this in advance. So uh, they'll have lost out. But then it's also, perhaps that was a route. Perhaps they were using various te- techniques and various people to get it from A to B. So has that smuggling route, for example, been uncovered? So look, it, it's a very, very serious hit. Now look, maybe 10 or 15 million, that we can really speculate would have been destined for Ireland. I, I, off the top of my head, there were, I think there were maybe 60 million, of, no less, maybe 30 million, of, thir- I think maybe 30 million of cocaine seized last year. Around that figure, it's, it's a movable feast. But if you think about it, the guards would probably admit they get somewhere between, say, 10 and 30% of what is sent in. So look, there's no doubt more cocaine will be sent into Ireland and Europe than is intercepted. But this is a significant loss for all the gangs concerned. There's no, there's no hiding from that. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one to hear cocaine coming into Ireland and uh, the K word immediately comes to mind. Do we have a, a sense of whether the Kinnens were involved? What, you know, what, what the operational situation was? I asked that and um, he basically said, I'm not telling you. But uh, he did say that, I'd always, I think Michael Sullivan said this, there's a very small number of gangs in Ireland capable of being involved in this. Commissioner Kelly sort of disagreed with that. He said there'd, there'd be a number of gangs who maybe, but I can I can think of maybe four or five off the top of my head. Remember the family? We always spoke about this family-led gang in Clondalk. And there's a couple of others who are really beneath the radar, but I don't think you're talking more than five. But the Kennans, and he did mention, the Kennans are one of the people, so they will be looked at. But what he did say, which was interesting, he said if it goes through Irish waters, as this did, there will have been an Irish involvement in the cartel or in the gang involved in this. So, look, it could be the Kennans. They, I mean, they people would say that the Kennans are very much involved in logistics. Now, rather than bringing in drugs themselves, they would organise shipments for other people because they've got all the expertise. So, look, it's probably more likely than not that there is some hint of Kennan involvement in this, but there's definitely an Irish involvement. Now, I think, I think everybody would be happy that not all 157 million euro of uncut cocaine would have been destined for Ireland. So some of it would, some of it wouldn't. Others would have gone to Britain, others may have gone to France, Germany, whatever, because Europe is a massive market for uh, for cocaine. And I'm just going to touch on the value because we, we mentioned this a couple of times. It's a bugbear of mine. So a, a kilogram of cocaine is 70,000. So people I know, we heard about this on Monday night, that there were two tonnes and it's all allegedly on the lawyer and on the trawler and we can talk about that in a while so I worked out two tons by 70,000 I added I think it was at 140 million and the guards always do this 70,000 euro a kilo now here's the problem cocaine is more than usual usually cut and it makes sense to cut it at its destination rather than when it's leaving Colombia because it's harder to smuggle 100 kilos logistically than to smuggle 30 kilos so we were always told that every pure, high pure kilo of cocaine is probably cut by three. Okay, so when they say 140 million, I always have a quibble with them. Lads, this is uncut. That would not go on the market uncut. Now, the purity of cocaine has increased. You're not going to have 80 or 90% pure cocaine. It's obviously going to be cut. And they refu- always refuse 
to say, well, exactly this is what it's worth in the street. So I always converted to what it's in the street. And, in, and interestingly, at the press conference, um, Jerry Harahill, who's the senior customs official, did say it could have been trebled for the streets. So that's why I'm thinking, really, you're talking 150, 500 million, which is a lot of cocaine. It is, yeah. And I mean, all of that money filters down as far down the criminal chain as you want to go. I mean, I think, you know, I understand why the guards take that view. But at the same time, this is money that ultimately funds crime one way or another. Yeah. So, yeah. So I always think it doesn't really matter how much it's worth when it's caught. It's how much it would have been worth on the streets. And look, just give you an indication, 70,000 euro for a kilo, right? So each one of those kilos would have had been worth 210,000 euro, right? But I always remember a senior drugs official telling me, the cartels would make that for maybe $1,800, okay? They would sell it wholesale for $30,000, okay? So the Kenyans would buy 30, you know, supply and demand and wholesale stuff, maybe $35,000. They would get $210,000 for every $30,000 they spent. Now, obviously, they have expenses, but that's a shed load of money for them to be making on a single kilo of cocaine, especially if they're bringing in 40 or 50 at a time. Absolutely. We were talking actually earlier in the week, just uh, separate to what we're talking about now about um, gangland deaths and and the like. And I I suppose the, the, you know, what are we looking at potentially in terms of repercussions here? Now, I realize that's a bit of a how long is a piece of string uh, question, but do we have a sense, you're obviously speaking to sources in and around, like do, do we have a sense, is this a major, major disruption for people within Ireland and are we likely to see any repercussions on the street? It, it it's always very very hard to tell because I would Im- anticipate at this level very few people in Ireland would have known the nuts and bolts of it. Maybe nobody in Ireland would have known the nuts and bolts of it, so they would have just said, "Right, it's coming in." You know, it's all compartmentalized. So I, I I personally myself I think it was signal intelligence or what they got over in Colombia. So I don't think anybody in Ireland would be necessarily in trouble, but people will have lost money and they'll have to they'll have to recoup that money. And they'll have to pay the cartels and everything for it. You know, it all depends where it, where it's seized. And, you know, there's a rule about if it's seized on route or whatever, you don't have to pay. But it, it could be, you know, it could have, been, it could have let me land in, in Ireland for 10 minutes and that could be enough. You know what I'm saying? So we don't know, but, you know, they're going to take a financial hit. I don't think there'll be any, anybody murdered over this. I think it's more a procedural thing in America and South America, shall we say. Perfect. That's all good. Now, what's the kind of look? You 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 speak to several people in defence forces in uh, in the security services one way or another. What, what's the what's the sense? How how are they feeling? They must be pretty delighted. I mean, to be honest with you, it was pretty cool looking. Like you have to look at the footage. It was. It was look like a dog with two mickeys. Let's be honest. They really are. They're, I think there's a light. And I think you know, say uh, from a military perspective, how many times have people said, "What do I have an army for? What do we need them for?" That's why we need them, because the ERU, no matter how talented they are, would not have the capabilities to go and do that. So the Army Ranger Wing, I think they call it the the, 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 the pointy spear of the Defence Forces. They're the point of the spear, right? When they, it hits the fan, they're the ones who are called in. And that was an extremely difficult operation to do yesterday, because you have to go on. It's a rolling deck. They There were concerns that they were armed. There were concerns that people in the trawler were armed. And I think, I mean... So it's a very, very dangerous operation. And I think it, it, the, the, the military sources would be happy that people got to see what the army have to do. So it wasn't a ceremonial thing. It wasn't the way it used to guard Kaisen Transit vans during the Troubles and stuff. This was them being percussive and having to do soldier stuff and point and doing it very, very well. It took them 15 minutes 
to take that ship. And if you look at it, that was a fuck off ship. It wasn't just a boat. We're not going to need a bigger boat. That was a humongous ship. 15 minutes. First thing, and I was talking to the source about this. First thing it did, landed, rope sailed down, ran for the bridge and ran for the engine room. Took control of them. And within 45 minutes, they had control of the whole ship. But it's really interesting. They were placed on alert at eight o'clock in the morning. By midday, they had the plan sorted out and were moving. Now that is really, really fast. So it shows you how well-trained and how practiced they are. And I think it, it's, look, let's be honest, it's a good morale boost, not just for the Ranger Wing, but for the whole professionalism of the Defence Forces because the Air Corps were involved with the CASAs, the PC-12 and the AW-139s and the Naval Service were involved. So I think they're happy and I think the guards are very happy because, look, you know, guards are always under pressure. And I was talking to somebody today and I was saying, take your win because the guards don't get that many wins because they are up against it all the time PR-wise. So I think everybody's very happy. And I'm personally very, very happy to have been involved writing about it because it was brilliant. Hmm. Just on a, a slight side point, though, how active are the Army Ranger Wing, just generally speaking? I mean, you know, is it, is it one of these sort of, you know, like in football, for example, where you're kind of on top of the possession of the game a lot of the time, your goalkeeper doesn't have much to do. So when it does happen, the, the, their concentration needs to be bang on. It, it came to mind that when you're talking about the, the planning of this thing to have it all down power after four hours. I mean, they, they've got to be on high alert at all times, regardless of what they're doing. Yes. And now what I can say is, I think I had this in my piece in the Star and Mirror today. They were actually, so their base is in the Curra camp in County Kildare. On Saturday morning, I think, Three days, so what's that, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. They were three chalks, maybe 25 of them, were transferred from the Curra, moved from the Curra to Baldonnell Aerodrome, Casement Aerodrome, South Dublin. So they were on standby because they knew this was happening. Do you know, how busy are they? The Army Ranger Wing are active every day. There are things that we will never get to hear about. I mean, I know that they would uh, have been involved, for example, during the Troubles on surveying and after the Troubles, say, real IRA members. There's one in particular who they, they, the Army Ranger Wing have been on the ground. So the Ranger Wing do two things. Their green duties, which was sort of yesterday, and their black duties, which is sort of anti-terrorism. You know, like the SAS going into uh, the Iranian embassy, they wore black. So they're green and black. But there are military tasks that the Ranger Wing are involved in every day. And they're also involved in security duties. They do have a hostage rescue element. That's one of their main tasks. And they have, you know, they have to be on call 24 hours a day. But they're very active on the ground. They're very active. We know they've been to Kabul. We know they were, they were in uh, Mali. We know that, for example, I was over in Lebanon. I've been over a couple of times, as you know, but in 2013, I went there with a Taoiseach and a Kenny, right? And there were these lads wearing suits and suddenly they brought out the stair rifles. And I went, ah, Jingo, that was the Ranger Wing, right? Now, because I'm an anorak, I knew that was the Ranger Wing, right? But the Ranger Wing are active every day. So... We get, we don't, I get to hear about it, but very people get, you know, because I have to, but very few people realise how active and on the ground the Ranger Wing are. They're fantastic. They really, really are fantastic lads. So we've got the scoop there. Michael O'Toole is in the Army Ranger Wings. There we go. Well, yeah, very undercover. <laughs> um, just on that point, though, I mean, you, um, you know, you've been covering this beat for a long time. How, how, where does this rank in terms of your interest in? Oh, it was fantastic yesterday. Um, and I'll tell you what, look, you always call it lifting the curtain or lifting the veil. We write things, but sometimes we hold up, not necessarily hold back things. Well, sometimes we do hold back things, but sometimes you can't write things because you can't get it over the line or whatever. So we knew we had a pretty good idea. Look, I'll give you an example, right? I got a wee sniff about on Monday evening. Was it What day is this? Tuesday evening about the, the boat 
trawler being in trouble and somebody said yeah there's two tons of cocaine in that i said holy shit right and i, I can't I, i'm always very careful i contacted somebody to say look i have this is this going to affect any operation i don't want to write a story that prevent fucks up an investigation or an operation basically because why would you do that you know i know we're journalists i mean we're, we're not they're not we're not press officers they don't tell us what to do but Sometimes, you know, if it could lead to a loss of life, you have to be mindful of that. And that person said, ah, sure, the Indo have it anyway, right? So enough, fair enough. Didn't read the Indo story. And I just tweeted, there's 140 million quid of cocaine in the Irish Sea, blah, 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 right? And it was nice and relaxed. And that was actually me breaking the story because the Indo didn't have it. They just had about the, the rescue alert. So they went, they were, so the next morning I got a message to say, there's no, there's no drugs on that boat. And I went, oh, Jesus, because the worst thing you can do is get something wrong. I said, oh, fuck. But then they said, but it's all right. They have the mothership. The Navy have had it overnight. I was going, oh, and I was waiting for it to break. And then it did. But then I just, somebody just rang me to say, we were doing things about this. And this is how you, you know, the whole drama of what we call a, a breaking story or a running story. I was like, Mick, the Ranger Wing are involved in that. I went, holy fuck, right? So I, I, I messaged some, I contacted somebody and I said, the Ranger Wing are involved in this. Uh, I'm not going into that. I said, so I knew I'm right. So we broke about the angel ranger wing and then maybe half an hour later somebody said, Mick, they fired shots. I said, holy shit. Again, I was saying holy shit a lot yesterday. So I rang somebody else and I said, I'm going to ask you something. I know the answer to you. And I went, go on. Did the naval service fire shots? Yeah. And then, he, and then it was like, were you taking the piss? Is this just a guess or did you actually know? I said, well, I'm already going to make it up. So, but it was just one of those days where it was just, one thing after the other after the other and the buzz was great the adrenaline buzz was great because you were breaking it on the mirror website and stuff and that's why i'm glad that you know we're owned by reach now because you know before we didn't have a website so we couldn't break stuff on the line so you'd have to wait for the next day and if it wouldn't hold so we we're just getting it out getting it out and it was just it was brilliant to be at the center of it and then we knew about the somebody said to me because all my all my fear was have i fucked up here are there drugs in either on any of these boats and somebody said don't worry mick it's full so I said, okay, so then it came out about the, the two tons. So we, we said 140 million from the day one. We weren't too far off. It was 157 million. So yeah, we're happy enough with what we got. Christmas come out, uh, Christmas come early for O'Toole there anyway, one way or another. Well, you see, it's, it's very lucky because I'm a crime and defence editor. Uh, this is a bugbear of mine. There aren't enough defence correspondents in Ireland who don't, and we don't, and that means that corporately newspapers and media don't have defence knowledge. So, like, for example, the Army Ranger Wing were called the Armed Ranger Wing. It's not, it's the Army Ranger Wing. So I was lucky that this was a marriage of my two loves, journalistically, crime and defence. So I was able to profit from the knowledge and the contacts. But, I mean, it is a point. We do need more people writing about defence because it's a very important issue. Well, I'm very happy to have benefited from your knowledge and contacts today, Michael. So thank you very much for that. Um, but listen, uh, is there anything you want to add before we head away? I, I, I just... It was a fantastic operation for the Ranger Wing. I think the guards have been under pressure. And, and, look, and I'm not saying that this was Machiavellian thing. I think they just, as I said to somebody, they took their win. They have been getting a kick in the last couple of weeks about everything, crime in Dublin. And I just think it is testament, I think, to the professionalism of all the agencies involved because this was a very, very dangerous operation. Just to give you one in, insight, we knew on Monday night, so Tuesday we knew on Monday night about the, the the trawler which was run aground and we thought there were drugs on it and it wasn't that's grand these things happen where it's, it's chaotic back to my original point we know 10 percent what's happening but i can tell you that there had been suspicions that they were throwing stuff overboard because they're under observation by helicopters and stuff and i know that the rescuers were told basically 
not to, to approach them to arrest them because there were concerns that they were armed. But they went after a while. They did go and they winched them off. But it just goes to show you how live and how sensitive this operation was. We're talking about cartels here who will happily kill people and will happily take on the security forces of a state. The fact that this boat tried to outrun the naval service shows you this was big boys' rules. So look, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a fantastic operation. And maybe it'd give a different side of policing and military affairs in this country, their professionalism and their proactivity. Absolutely. Well, listen, we'll, uh, we'll try and get back to all of the listeners this week with uh, another week in crime podcast, if we can forage one together. Uh, but in the meantime, Mick, thank you very much for everything today. And um, yeah, I'll speak to you later in the week. All right. Cheers. <laughs>